Take the flying cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Adam Drovetta, Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Michael Swain of 24 Sports and Fog.net. Also, the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us today. But right off the bat, more important than anything else going on right now in the world of KU. We have another name gates. I, I shouldn't say another. I mean, there was the Doke one. Is it D-O-K? Is it D-O-K-E? We had the Travis Kelsey, Travis Kels one. Now we have one from Ochai Agbaji. This was posted by Morgan Siegfried, who is the, uh, I, I believe, Associate Athletic Director. Um, oh, I don't know what the official title is for Morgan, but um, does a lot with KU Athletics. I think it's for creative branding. Um, anyway, she posted this video from inside the innards of the Chicago Bulls arena where KU met with the media. We've got Bill Self Audio. We'll share for you in a little bit. This is what Ochai Baji said is how you actually pronounce his name. Real way, like the real way you say my name is Ochai Agbaji. Ochai Agbaji. Ochai Agbaji. Yeah. I can call you Oats. Oats. Are you going to call him Oats? Um... I don't know if they ever like play milk and oats. If they ever play, uh, well, meal this year it wouldn't happen. And he's gone after this year. But I was going to say if they were ever to play uh, Alabama, it'd be oats versus oats. Oats, <laughs> there would, you go. oats yeah. would be coaching against oats. I heard um, back when Doke was here, I heard an interview with um, Christian Okoye, also famously uh, Nigerian. Um, he said that based on his Christian Okoye saying this about uh, Yudoke Azabuki, uh, based on Christian's understanding and, and and pronunciations from Nigeria, which he would have more of an expertise on that than you or I would, he said uh, you would pronounce his last name as a Bike. As a Bike? As a Bike. That's always like, you know... But I, I, I never heard Yudoka verify that. Yeah. I just heard that from Christian Okoye, who, for what it's worth, is Nigerian. Yeah, exactly. That's Everything gets Americanized when you're, you know, whatever country you're in, right? Um, like... Sviatoslav Mikhailuk or Mikhailuk, whatever it would be. Like, I doubt we have been saying that right. Oh, I'm, there's sure, no, I'm sure. I'm, right? Yeah, I'm sure his parents watching back at <laughs> three in the morning at the Ukraine when during at you in Ukraine when mm-hmm. he was uh when he was playing just cringed and, and still now watching uh watching him in the NBA, I'm sure they cringe listening to him. Uh Otai it's like an acai bowl, but I will oats. say this, you do uh you more than most people I've heard um, you do pronounce uh the G. You say Agbaji. Yeah, I need to know because I more, think he, actually I don't know. No, he seemed. Let's, he let's said hear Agbaji. it again. I'm pretty sure he said Otsai Agbaji. I, you are right, though. A lot of people don't pronounce it. So yeah. play it again. Real way, like the real way you say my name is Otsai Agbaji. Oh, he does. Otsai Agbaji. Yeah, Agbaji. Otsai Agbaji. Ha Got one. Oh, what's uh? So yeah. Um, his parents. Now, doesn't his mother? She goes by Erica, right? Oh, I don't know. I, I see him all the time. I thought the game, one but. of his parents had at least is is introduced with an Americanized mm-hmm. name that I would hazard to guess is not their given birth name, um, but 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 has it goes by more an Americanized name. Uh, I'm going to start calling him Tom. Tom. 
<laughs> just pick a name. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. I, I'm going to, we'll do the daily poll just early here. I'm just putting this up at RCST 1320. Will you call him Ochai or Otsai? Otsai Agbaji. That's a cool, uh, that's a cool you name. think that's one of those things where, you know, he, obviously he, as a kid, was from Milwaukee. Um, and I, I kind of wonder, um, like, is he called the next question? Because, you know, when, when your parents are mad, they call you by your middle name. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they not just your middle name. They say your middle name. I'm like, Adam David Dravetta. I heard that a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> and it was never good news. So do you think in his case, if they're not mad at him, they'll just call him Ochai? And if they're angry, they're, Ochai, yeah. get in here. <laughs> Probably. So who knows? Maybe this is what unlocks Ochai playing well. This week in uh, let Chicago. the people in the United Center know. Some guy asked Chris. I, you know, you know, somebody made sure to ask Christian Brown this the other day. I don't know if you know that Michael Jordan mm. played in that United Center. Somebody wanted to make sure mm-hmm. Christian Brown knew that during the press conference like, I know a couple this. days. Did ago. you know that? He's his statues right out front. <laughs> Your uh, RCSD NCAA tournament coverage brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports. Big city selection, small town service on bikes, off road vehicles, and watercrafts. They're located off Highway 24 in Topeka. Make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting with the good weather ahead in the spring and summer at Cycle Zone Power Sports. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. That's the case at Panky Foundation Repair. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free. And you can even receive a 10% off if you call Panky Foundation Repair at 785 705-0577 and mention you heard it on Rock Chalk Sports Talk that's at 785-505-0577 this is obviously a Sweet 16 game for Kansas and it has been much discussed over the idea that um, Bill Self his record in first games of the tournament versus the second game he is 8-2 in Sweet 16's at Kansas he is 10-3 overall in Sweet 16s in his coaching career. What's his loss besides Michigan? Mm, maybe I looked at that wrong. Maybe it was 8-1 in Sweet 16s at Kansas, 10-3 and overall. Hmm. I don't know. Either way, because um, he lost to Illinois, lost the one at Kansas. He, lost, he, yeah, lost he actually it. lost to Kansas in the, uh, in, in the Sweet 16. Um, and I want to say in 03, he lost to Arizona. But no, that was Notre Dame. Notre Dame beat him in 03 in the second round, his last year at Illinois. The only I could be way wrong, and there could very well be somebody no, I think screaming you're right. at the radio right now, but I thought their only Sweet 16 loss was that heartbreaker. Oh, no. Michigan, uh, Michigan State. Michigan State in 09. Of course. Oh, duh. The year after the it's National Championship. It's just kind of a forgotten year because it's like. And, and they play, it wasn't an upset. You just won the title. It's fine. Well, and, and it wasn't an upset. Yeah. You played to seed. That, exactly. was, that was a two seed beating a three. But the Michigan one, like, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, of course was, I'll remember that. Yeah, right? I, okay, duh. So there was. So somebody, we just lost RCS. There was trivia. somebody just screaming at their radio yeah. just then who's probably going to win RC. The winner of RCST <laughs> trivia, you get congratulations along with all your other prizes. Mm. You get a full minute to lambast us for not remembering that. Right. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. But either way, really good Sweet 16 record. This was also pointed out by Matt Tate. I saw this. He pointed this out on, I forget if it was on Twitter or one of his articles in the LJ World. Um, the eight wins that KU has had in the Sweet 16 have come by an average of 15 points. So it's not just that they've won these games. They have won them very big. That comes to mind in the game that we saw in Kansas City in 2017 against uh, Purdue where they just blew them out in 
the second round or or in the uh, second half of that game. Now, the last game that KU played in the Sweet 16 against Clemson didn't end up as a blowout, but it was trending that way. KU was dominating Clemson through the first half. They were dominating Clemson through the first, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes, and then Clemson made things a little bit scary at the end of that game, but KU eventually made it through. Now, there's two ways of discussing this. There's the way of discussing this as this is great news for KU in the Sweet 16 against Providence, and then there's the way of discussing it as, you know, but the second game hasn't gone as well. If KU does get through Providence, that scares you maybe a little bit more in the Elite Eight, but also you could view it as, well, Providence is the best remaining seed in KU's region in the Midwest, so clearly you'd rather have that advantage in the Sweet 16 than you would the Elite Eight. Um, But overall, it's not just, like I said, the first round or the second round thing, It's or the Sweet 16 versus the Elite Eight. It is the first game in the weekend versus the second team in the weekend where there is a big discrepancy. Um, Overall, in the first game of the week, first round, Sweet 16, Final Four. Bill Self is 33-6 and as a coach in those three games, including all his stops, so Kansas plus others. In the second game of the week, he's just 18-15 and through all his stops. So that is a, a vast difference. 15 less wins, nine more losses. And yes, you could easily, you know, point to some of this and say, well, obviously the record in the second day would be worse than the first because you're going to play a tougher team in the second round than the first round. You're going to play a tougher team in the Elite Eight than the Sweet 16. You're going to play a tougher team in the championship game than the Final Four, right? That, that's an easy way to explain it. But what if we compared it backwards? Because then this doesn't explain it. Self is 2-1 and one in the Final Four. He's 3-7 and seven in the Elite Eight. So the harder game should be the Final Four, but he has a better record than in the Elite Eight. Self is 10-3 and three in the Sweet 16. He's 14-7 and seven in the second round. So again, should be harder in the Sweet 16 than the second round, and for whatever reason, that hasn't been there. So really the one thing that makes sense is just that, you know, you give a longer period of time for a good coach and a good coaching staff to figure that out. I think a lot of it, too, boils down to in the Elite Eight. They've had a lot of games where they've come out tight, and maybe that has been the issue for KU in those games. But that's, at the very least, the positive advantage that KU has going into this game against Providence. They have those extra days off. They don't just play on a Thursday, too. They have the Friday game where they have an even extra day to get ready for this game. Um, I think that has to give you Providence or, or confidence headed into the Providence game. Maybe not as much in a potential Elite Eight, but again, I mentioned this the other day. Okay, you could potentially play Iowa State in the Elite Eight. So if this is just something about preparation... If KU does get through Providence and they play Iowa State in the Elite Eight, does that kind of get rid of your Elite Eight worries for KU because of the fact that if it is a preparation thing, like, hey, we've already spent a couple weeks preparing for Iowa State this year? That's entirely possible. I'll also I'll also posit, I mean, we've talked about, you know, and we talked with Newell yesterday, um, you know, teams firing off for three and shooting so well uh, against KU in the, in the tournament over previous years. Is that a luck factor? Is it, you know, is it just a random tournament, weird things happen factor? And if you want to be optimistic, you could say that, you know, the 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 issues in the second round, the issues in the Elite Eight, the issues with the second game of the weekend, yes, it's very possible you can find a flaw. And, and I'm open to the, the, to the possibility that there is a flaw in maybe how they scout teams, uh, how they prepare. Um, but I also would say... It's, you know, I think it's also possible that there's just a luck factor. Um, and what you're seeing is, 
you know, maybe you're due for some sort of big, uh, you know, regression or in, in KU's case, progression toward the mean. Um, and if that's the case, then, uh, you know, then good things are coming. But yes, as far as preparation goes, because even if you do want to say, well, it's an issue with how KU prepares, um, you would say, well, they're already prepared for Iowa State. Um, the other side of that, however, is that um, they uh, would be that Iowa State is also prepared for them. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but I think if you were telling me both teams are prepared for each other, I'm going to take the one with more talent. Yeah, right? exactly. You give the team, you give the athletic advantage. Absolutely. Um, and I would also say, it, look, as great as um, I can't remember his name, the 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 coach, uh, the Iowa State coach. Oh, uh, I was thinking Steve Prom for TJ Altsberger. Yeah, TJ Altsberger, yeah. as an amazing job as he did this year, and he, I, you know, he had a, every argument for Big Twelve Coach of the Year, maybe even National Coach of the Year. They only won two games last year, uh, but regardless, he did a fantastic job. I, I would also give KU the coaching advantage there. I don't think KU had Remy Martin in either game, too. That could be right, and funnily enough, I think the better game. Or at least in the game that they won by a larger margin was um, the game was the game in Ames, and they didn't have Ochai Abaji. So you had, you know, you saw an example of a team willing to step up without their best guy, and then yeah, they've got. And if they didn't have Remy, if they even if they had Remy Martin, they certainly didn't have Remy Martin at the level uh, they're currently playing. So it, it's um, you know it's been. Um, that you know that I think I, I honestly think one of the biggest stories, and something that Bill Self did not have in his previous years, is how many times has he added a conference player of the year level player at the beginning of the tournament? We've talked so much about well they lost Doak for the tournament, they lost Embiid for the tournament, they lost Doak uh, for the first two rounds of the tournament, or no, just the first round in um, 2018. He came back to play Seton Hall. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got all those examples, but this year you could say, well, he's at least in the first two weekends, he's added, um, you know, a, a conference player of the year level caliber player with the way Remy's picked things up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to take a timeout here. We have some Bill Self audio to play for you. And then Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports is going to join us. He's Adam Rivette. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That I'm Brevetta, Derek Johnson. We are joined now. By Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports and Fog.net. Uh, first things first, Michael, hard-hitting investigative journalism question here. Do you share the same pizza beliefs as your former, uh, I guess, employer, your, your former member in your position, Scott Chasen, that deep dish pizza is trash? Uh, sort of. I think it's wow. fine. I think it is overrated um, to some degree in terms of its hype, but I also don't think it's lasagna, I think, as Scott has previously stated. Um, I'm right in the middle. I will ride the fence on this one. I think it's fine if you put it in front of me. It's all we have. I'll eat it. 
But if you gave me some choices, I'm pretty sure it'd be down the list of my choices. Wow. I, I love deep dish pizza, so uh, I will take that side here. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. You might want to hang up now. No, um, <laughs> KU, KU takes on Providence tomorrow night. Uh, what do you think is more likely to carry over for KU from their last game against Creighton into tomorrow's action? Is it the Jayhawks shooting lights out at the free throw line as they did against the Blue Jays or their opponent going off from three? I think it's more likely that KU shoots a lot better from the free throw line than it is that Providence goes off from three. And I, I say that for a few reasons. I think watching some of the games, and you know, I've got a film room coming out later at Fog.net, but basically you watch some of the games versus Richmond when Providence went off from three, and Richmond's defense was awful. Like Their switching was super slow, super late, and you look at what KU does in terms of its own switching, and I'm pretty sure they're going to spend most of this week focusing on, hey, you've got to close out on shooters. You can't let shooters get open. So um, I think it's one of those things where KU's not going to let those guys go off from three. Um, and I think the free throw shooting, you know, they're about a 70, 72% free throw shooting team this season. They obviously shot like 95% from the line. But I think they'll probably be higher than that in kind of that 80s range. Um, so I, I'd probably go with that carrying over compared to the, the three-point shooting for Providence. Pick your fighter, 2018 March Malik Newman or 2022 March Remy Martin. Uh, give me Remy Martin. Um, I think that Malik Newman was awesome, and he was certainly a big reason why Key went to the Final Four that year. I think that Remy Martin is just a, maybe even a little bit more athletic of Malik Newman because I think Malik Newman, you know, he had the crossovers and was able to get to the rim. But I think Remy Martin, you know, to use a, the, as the kids would say, his bag is a lot bigger and he's got a lot more moves he can pull out. There was that nice little stutter move he had, I think maybe in the first half against Creighton, where he like fakes like he's going to spin and comes back and goes into like a one-legged fadeaway. I mean, that's a move you see on like, you know, and one mixtapes, right? So I think I'd take him. I think the shooting from three-point range is pretty good. Um, and I think his passing is probably a little bit better than what Malik Newman's was um, when, in 2018. We're talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, Remy has just been such an, an interesting story. And, and I think that, you know, as much as the Malik Newman thing ended up being a – a surprise, uh, not that he played well in March, but just that you go from, I mean, if, if he would have bottled up what he did in, in the NCAA tournament run and the Big 12 tournament into the whole season, you're talking like National Player of the Year candidate from what he did. But he was a solid player before that. With Remy Martin, we didn't even know if he was going to be playing come March. Uh, this feels to me like uh, the most improbable thing to have happened to KU basketball. Maybe maybe if you combine the fact that 28, like, Silvio De Sosa, you didn't know what you were going to get from him. Malik Newman going from being a quality player, a starter, to being a, like I said, like one of the best players in the country. It feels like if you combined both of those things, you would end up with Remy Martin. And now I think the importance of this is, you know, I I don't know, like going through all the different point guards in the country of all the teams remaining, um, where Kansas would rank out in terms of the point guard play and where Remy Martin would rank out. But it feels like the way he's playing now it's way less of a conversation of are Kansas's guards good enough, and now it might be a conversation of does the other team have a good enough guard to pair against Remy Martin? 100%. And I think he's maybe the most purely talented point guard. I, you know, I think that Devontae Graham was obviously fantastic in what he did. Um, but I think, you know, Remy almost rivals that to some degree in terms of, you know, the playmaking ability is somewhat similar. I think I might take Devontae in that regard. But I think just the creative scoring ability for. Remy is so incredible. And I think you think about luck, right? 
Cade didn't get lucky last year with the matchup with USC. They didn't get lucky with the matchup against Auburn the year before. And then all of a sudden it has something like this break your way where the bracket is open and you've got a player in Remy Martin that now uh, raises your ceiling as a team when you didn't know what you had. And how, much, how many times have we talked about on the show, right, where you know, can Remy make an impact in March? And that was kind of the question. And now that he's shown that, I think you are right. It's a question of whose backcourt can compete with that because you've got someone like Dewan Harris who now can really, really focus on being really good defensively. And he doesn't have to worry about being such a huge creator and having to initiate so much offense. And now Remy, on the other side of things, can go out there and go score and go create and go play because I think he's got nothing to lose at this point. And neither does KU, right? Do or die. So I think the balance that this team has now struck in terms of what it has offensively and even some of the defensive stuff that they've done where they've just been better and more intense, I think, and more in, uh, have more intent, I think is the right word, um, with the way they play defense and their focus on scouting report and being really good at that. So I think in general, I think Ray Martin has certainly raised the ceiling. I think you are right. And that's now a question of, you know, I don't really think there's a backcourt in this NCAA tournament that can really rival you know, what KU has there. I think given where this team was for a while this year in fans' eyes, if you would have said it, I don't know, one of the low points, like this team would win the Big 12 regular season, they'd win the Big 12 postseason, they'd make the Sweet 16. You know, obviously there's still a portion where at a school like Kansas, you're not hanging a banner for, for the Sweet 16, so um, you don't want to settle for anything short of a Final Four. But very much that season 100% at one of the lower points this year would have been looked at as not disappointing, as a success in certain regards. At this point in the season, with what we know, with what's left in the Midwest region and how the bracket has kind of broken open for KU, which again, we know doesn't really guarantee anything, but knowing that the path is there for them to make the Final Four, is it hard for you to view KU not making the Final Four this year as anything but a disappointment? Yeah, probably. I think, and it's so weird, right, how the season has gone, where you go from, like you said, points in the year where you're like, man, could this team make the second weekend? Like, that was a question, because there were times where you just weren't really sure. Um, And now, I think you're right. And it's one of those things where it's weird to say, but yeah, Kansas not making a Final Four would be very disappointing. You have a game that you're going to be a seven-point favorite in tomorrow, and then if you play Miami, you'll probably be a seven eight, nine, ten-point favorite, and then you play Iowa State, that's a team you've already beat twice this year, and you already have a recipe for success against them. So I do. I, I think it would be something like that. And I think it's, it, it does feel weird to say, and considering where this team has been, kind of the ups and downs of it, but I, I do think it kind of would be in that realm of being a disappointment if they don't make it. Obviously, the focus is to make the Final Four this weekend for KU and and have that not end up happening, but... Um... Bigger picture, when you watch some of these other top teams and you see uh, what they've done in the NCAA tournament, can you see Kansas being good enough to win a title? Yeah, I certainly do. And I think Gary Martin's a huge part of that. Because I think you look at, you know, I think for me the big team that I look at is Gonzaga. And I look inside and I see a team that with Chet Holmgren, he is so incredibly talented and so much fun to watch. But... David McCormick could probably outmuscle him at times inside. And I do wonder with Jalen Wilson, what you have there, could he guard Timmy? And then outside of that, I think you take what KU has in the backcourt with whether it be Remy and Dewan or Remy and Ochai or, you know, any one of those combinations. And I take that over what you have there with Nemhard and Rasheer Bolton. So I think that you look at across college basketball, and I think that each team has flaws. And this isn't like last season where 
you know, we knew going into the tournament, Gonzaga and Baylor were the two best teams, and the two best teams played for the title. This year, every team has some flaws. You can look up and down. Duke has flaws, right? You know, Texas Tech, if they win, they still have flaws too offensively. So I think you look at KU, and when KU's playing at its absolute best, like you saw maybe on that Saturday in Kansas City against Texas Tech, I, I really do find it hard to believe there's another team that can beat them and beat them handily. And all you can ask for in some of these games is can you be in a close game? And KU's been in a fair amount of close games, and they've played well in them. So I do think that KU's in a spot where you have to make the title or the, the final four first, but you know, you play a Houston maybe or a Villanova and I think you can beat a team like that. And then it comes down to does Gonzaga make it? And if Gonzaga does, that'll be a fascinating matchup. And if they don't, I think KU will have a good shot against whoever comes out of the other side. We're talking with Michael Swain, twenty four seven sports, fog.net. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the news with Grady Dick, who earned Gatorade National Player of the Year. He is ranked just kind of in the like low to mid twenties, though, or maybe depending where you look, like kind of right around that that fringe twenty range. Um, it, it's weird because if you if you win Gatorade National Player of the Year, that would make you think, oh, you're the number one player, you're a top five player, something like that. I think it's a good reminder, though, of you know it's the same way that a player like I don't know Ochag Baji could win Naismith Player of the Year, but he's not going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. So clearly, there's there's a a jump you have to make and you know there's things that go into being ranked differently there but that seems low to have a guy who wins that award in the 20s do you get a sense at all that he's going to kind of rise in the rankings before he winds up on campus i do i think that i think you know if you said an over under what he's at right now 22 I, I take the you know the i guess technically the under right i think he'll end up being higher ranked than that but i think to me the most fascinating part is he's not even the highest ranked recruiter on his own team Mark Mitchell's the number two player in the country, I want to say. Um, but he's a five-star going to Duke. And Grady Dick is the one that won the Gatorade National Player of the Year. And it's because he's playing so well at the high school level. Like, he's shooting almost 50% from three. Um, his scoring has been off the charts. And they haven't played, you know, some uh, cakewalk of teams. Like, their schedule has been pretty tough. They've already played IMG Academy. Um, so I think what he's done has been super, super impressive. And I think you're looking at him, you know, Obviously, I think Andrew Wiggins, I think, was maybe the last Jayhawk to win it. Um, I think you're looking at him being one of these guys now where I think, you know, six months ago, I probably thought, oh, yeah, Grady Dick will come in and be a, a two-and-done guy, right? You come in, play for a year, you learn it, and then you come back and dominate that sophomore season. Like, if he comes in and brings the shooting and is able to put on maybe a little bit more weight and where he can handle himself kind of playing that, that three or four, like, I mean, could he be a one-and-done? Sure. Um, but I do think, to answer your initial question, I do think he ends up being higher than that 22 ranking, at least in our rankings right now. I've always thought it'd be cool to uh, have specific recruiting rankings for, you know, uh, kind of to that same notion, like for most impactful players in year one. Like a, a perfect guy I think of, uh, Tyrese Hunter for Iowa State. I think he was ranked in the like low 30s or mid-40s, something like that, in recruiting rankings coming into the year. And I get the reason why. I know part of the recruiting rankings is you're not just projecting what are they going to do in year one. It's what are they going to do over their career? What are they going to do in their basketball career? Not just in college. But if you were just viewing it from a standpoint of, well, who's going to have the most immediate impact? Who's going to have the most impact right away as a freshman? I don't know. Tyrese Hunter might be like a top 20 guy in what he's done as a freshman in, in helping lead Iowa State to the Sweet 16, but maybe he doesn't have as much potential because he's a shorter guard who has some questions with shooting and whatnot. Um in that same kind of light, do you kind of get the sense that Grady Dick would, if if that was the case, like that's how you had a, a version of rankings like that, that he would be 
maybe as high as, as any other player in the country? Maybe. Um, I think it all depends on what comes back for KU. Because like you mentioned with Tyrese, right, TJ gave him the keys. And that staff gave him the keys to the car. And they said, Tyrese, this is your car to drive. Like with Isaiah and Gabe Kalsher and Condit and all those guys, like they said, Tyrese, this is your team to run. And he had his ups and downs throughout the season. Is Bill Self going to give Grady Dick the keys next year? Uh, history tells us no. It'll probably be in the hands of, you know, if Christian Brown comes back, it'll be in his hands and Dewan Harris's hands and probably Jalen Wilson if he comes back as well. You know, so I think that it all kind of depends on the situation for KU where if Brown and Jalen Wilson do come back, then it's a question of, all right, so who are kind of the pieces fitting around that to where is Grady Dick coming off the bench to start the season or is he starting in the starting lineup? Is he starting in the starting lineup? Is he at the three or the four? So I think there are questions that maybe could dictate where Grady Dick would finish in those rankings where I think if you look at maybe some of the other guys, um, I don't have any off the top of my head that I can name, but that might be walking into a situation where they are handed the keys to say, and I think that history with Bill Self shows that he's going to lean more on maybe those veteran guys and bring Grady Dick along so that at the end of the season, maybe he's one of these guys that is your best player. But I think to start the season, there's definitely going to be an acclimation process like there is with any freshman, um, and there will be ups and downs. And I think that, again, history shows that Bill Self probably not going to hand everything over to the true freshman. How much do you think the Adidas NIL branch is going to impact KU recruiting moving forward? I think it'll help a lot, especially whenever the – NCAA violation stuff and FBI case and all that stuff goes away. And one, whenever that the penalties that stem from that go away, that's when I think you're really going to see KU get back into those top five players where, you know, you've got Grady Dick and that's awesome. And you've got MJ Rice and that's awesome. But those are not guys that are your Josh Jackson's or your Andrew Wiggins, right? So I think that helps you a lot there. And it was funny listening to guys today talk like Jeremy Martin joked that he wished he had another year to take advantage of it. And Ochai said that it's cool for players right now, but it's going to be really cool for guys that are coming in because they're going to get one, two, three, four years of being able to maximize that brand. And with the way that things trend now with social media and some of these high school guys at a young age getting such a huge following on Twitter, Instagram, you know, TikTok's a thing now. Um, I think that allows for some of these guys to walk in and be able to make a good amount of money off of it just based on their uh, social media following. So I think it definitely helps KU a ton. Um, in the immediate future, but I think in the longer future, this is going to be a huge deal whenever kind of the, the cloud of the NCA stuff kind of goes away. He's Michael Swain. You can check out all his awesome work, 24-7 sports with Fog.net. You can catch on some recruiting scoops. You can follow along with KU in the NCAA tournament. Before we let you go, though, one last thing with Adam. All right, Michael, one last thing. Upon which volcano did you last attend a ritual human sacrifice? <laughs> uh... Is Kilimanjaro uh, a volcano? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Well, surprising. let's say it's a volcano. Let's say let's say I was at Kilimanjaro. Have okay, you actually been to Kilimanjaro? No, but let's say. Okay. I have. All right. Uh, yeah. Now <laughs> Kilimanjaro volcano Kilimanjaro. Wow. Um, hey, I guess it's outside of the U.S., so if he committed a crime, it's fine? Question yeah, mark? I don't kind of weirded works. out. I was hoping your answer would be I've never been to a ritual <laughs> yeah. human sacrifice. That was a test, and you failed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, failed miraculously. <laughs> Well, Michael, thank you so much for the time, as always, man. Definitely. Thanks, guys. All right, Michael Swain, check out his work, Fog.net. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, one to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Depend on it. 
Four o'clock hour. We're out early today at five o'clock. Um, Westwood One coverage going to take over, and then you can hear all the Sweet 16 games here on KLWN and KLWN.com. I'm going to set a new rule, by the way, after that Fox News update. RCST trivia. If if you have anything, if, if any answers anger you or if you think are stupid, shut up. <laughs> and if you have a problem with somebody's answer on Jeopardy, shut up. Sometimes people get things wrong. Yeah. Shut up. Happens. Did you know Diana Ross's date of birth before it spread over the internet with people getting pissing and moaning nah, about it? I still don't know it. Good God. Shut up, people. Uh, by the way, the Chiefs have a new wide receiver. We talked yesterday about the trade away of Tyree Kill, which, by the way, that poll pretty much ended up 50 50 whether you liked the return or didn't, um, which makes sense. It's a, you know, polarizing trade to trade I, away Tyreek Hill. I'd, I'd wonder what would happen if we revisit the trade in two years and we look it's at go it. one way or the other based yeah, on who they, and, yeah. and like, okay, now, you know, what they got, it would be harder to do, like, if they took these trades and, and traded for more trade, like, that would make it more difficult to actually track Keep everything Keep getting draft picks, right? But if, you know, you go back in a couple of years, like, I, I think a lot of people who in, you know, 2007 were upset about the Jared Allen trade were happy by 2013 to have Jamal Charles and Brandon Albert. Yeah, uh, but they do have a new receiver, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He was with the Packers for the past couple of seasons. He uh, had, I think, 26 catches, a little over 400 yards. He's more of a deep threat than he is anything. Um, he did miss some games last year, so he probably would have ended up with more numbers. He got a... Uh, Pretty rich contract given the the not ton of production, but again, there's potential there. He's actually a good like run blocking receiver too, which you know the Chiefs don't run it a ton, but that's like a positive thing. Um, and yeah, again, like he is a very good deep threat, which seems to be a good match when you're playing with Patrick Mahomes. When you lose Tyreek Hill, you need another deep threat, so he comes in, and now they have two receivers with two last names, which that's obviously important with Smith Schuster and uh, Valdez Scantling. And I'd imagine they're not done. I'd imagine they're going to draft someone or something. A pretty clear precedent that Veach has set his age. Um, I mean, his biggest contracts yeah, have all guy. gone to young, gone to younger dudes. Which, which is I, a good thing. As, yeah, I agree. As somebody, I was, I didn't like. This was before I was on the radio, but I didn't like the Justin Houston contract. I didn't like the Eric Berry contract. I felt both of those were paying guys for what they had done, not what they were going to do, and that's not a good way to do business in the NFL. It's it's a harsh world, but sometimes you got to say, "Hey, you've been great for us, and we got great value out of you, but we don't like what we see when you're turning 30." So, bye. Um, that's a hard thing to do, but I, I think it's it's how you need to do things. And I think the the precedent, if you look at the guys Veach is willing to walk on and the guys he's giving contracts to, especially new guys that are coming in as free agents from from other teams, um, it, it, he seems to like a. a 26 and younger, 25 and younger. Mm. Uh, hopefully nobody takes that out of context. Shut up. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, the Sweet 16 is tonight. I do want to talk some basketball here. Real quick, before we get into the games that are going on tonight, uh, I just wanted to do a quick update because we, we did this before the tournament. You might be wondering. We set all these parameters for who can make the Final Four, who can win the national title. Just a reminder for the Final Four ones, everyone's been a top 11 seed. Um, 71 of the 76 were top 31. Ken Palm. Uh, pretty much over 90-whatever percent were top 60 in offense, top 50 in defense. 
70 of 76 had head coaches who had previously made the Sweet 16 or in their first tournament, and 18 of the 19 previous champs didn't make it past the Sweet 16, which it's now 19 of 20 because Baylor did not make it out of the first weekend. So we came up with some teams that could make the Final Four. Here are the ones that are still alive based on our parameters. Gonzaga, Duke, and Arkansas all in the West. So, I mean, a 75% chance you're going to get one of those. But Texas Tech still could win it. Um, Arizona, Villanova, and Houston out of the South. So you're three out of four there. An important note for uh, that um, Texas Tech group, though, is they do have at least one or two, not just players, but main contributors who have been to a Final Four before. So you've got the coach who hasn't, but he was part of the staff that went to it. So there, there still is some level of, of experience. Yeah, I there. wonder how that works, too, with like Arizona. You know, Tommy Lloyd was on yeah. Gonzaga's staff, and they went to two title games. Yeah, you've got some level of, of late tournament Late in the tournament experience. Uh, Midwest, Kansas is the one team remaining who fit our parameters. And in the East, the one team remaining is UCLA. So we'll see if, if that stuff all holds. Uh, but as far as the, the title winners, now Kentucky did lose in the first round, but we narrowed down for the title winners. It was a different set of parameters. Gonzaga, Kansas, Kentucky, Villanova. Three of those four are still alive. So I'm very curious to see if this all works. But nonetheless, if you would have picked you know, all four of those to go to the Final Four, you got three or four Final Four picks right now, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I'm really curious how KU fans. I look. There's there's going to be fans who are. I saw one um, one fan, and I don't even know why I'm. I should I should just ignore him, and, and I did ignore him on Twitter. But somebody responded to Scott Pollard said, "Hey, this is an outstanding season. Another one seed. This is amazing, et cetera, et cetera." And somebody replied to Pollard. No, that doesn't matter. It's all about the next championship here, and that's silly. Um, enjoy the ride. That's kind of one thing I found is just have fun. Watch, you know, have November. That's kind of why I love the Champions Classic. It's something fun to really, really enjoy, a high-level game to enjoy early in the season. Um, but the um, – I don't know where I was going for that. But, oh, I, I would be interested to see how a lot of KU fans feel because I do think there are some who are uh, – that are kind of um, no feeling great, confident. Let's mm-hmm. do it. And some, I think you and I are among them. Now we both, admittedly, are always nervous, um, especially when postseason comes, whether it be the Chiefs, um, the Jayhawks, whatever. We're always kind of nervous about our teams in important games. Um, but I'm interested because in two thousand, you know, you've got two thousand eight. The bracket broke. You, you had you you played a double digit seed in the Elite Eight. Uh, in the case of a let and in 08, you also played a 12 seed in the Sweet 16, and I would be wondering because in 2011 that same thing happened. You played a 12 seed in the Sweet 16 and a double digit seed in the Elite Eight. Um, I wonder if if 11 jaded a lot of KU fans, and obviously they've they've had their struggles since then. Um, I'd be interested to know kind of. You know the and if there's an age gap, like if if kind of the older KU fans are a little more nervous uh, and the younger ones are no, let's just go after it. I, I, I'm very interested in that. Yeah, I think 2011 did kind of spurn a lot of people. I, I think um, it did too. And but, I I wonder what happened in in the case of UConn because UConn uh, now at that by that point Jim Calhoun had already won two national titles uh, where Self has the has won. Um, and then Calhoun, but it, it was, what, three years after that uh, was when UConn was back in the Final Four, uh, whereas with KU, they made the Final Four the very next year, and then UConn by 2011 had won another national title. So the, the years after that turned out to be a little different. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be very interested to see how, how in general, fans are feeling about this weekend. Okay, uh, Sweet 16 games. For tonight, it's the West and the South, which is the top left and top right regions. Um, Gonzaga taking on Arkansas. We talked a little bit about this uh, the other day. It's a game where both teams are going to play at a high tempo. Our Arkansas has really good athletes. Uh, really the only way I see Arkansas being able to hang in there and, and maybe pull an upset, like J.D. Note, who averages like 17, 18, 19 a game, um, he has the ability to catch fire. If he does, they have a chance. Outside of that, I really have trouble seeing them win this because it's two teams who play it a similar way. Gonzaga just has better players. Agree completely. Should be entertaining, though. I think another, I, I, I think another thing would be if Gonzaga... Um, and, and Arkansas could have some control over this, but as, Gonzaga, as good as Gonzaga is, I think it will take Gonzaga missing some uh, a lot of shots, not going like you know, not shooting like forty percent or, or anything like that, but missing um, a lot of shots that they would normally hit. So some some unlucky bounces at the rim for Gonzaga. I think it would take that. I just I, I look I mean, at the th- size this issue. Is, this is a one versus a four. And yet, the only Sweet Sixteen game where the spread is higher is a three versus a fifteen. Yeah, I like. Okay, Jalen Williams is super fun. Their center for Arkansas, six ten, really good. I don't know if he actually is six ten. That's what he's listed. He's probably close to six eight, six nine. Uh, but he's a really good athlete. They pretty much play Stanley Amude. I don't know if it's Amude or Amude at the four, who is a really good transfer coming in from actually, South Dakota. He's a six foot six wing. Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy are going to eat on Arkansas tonight, and I think Gonzaga wins big in a high-scoring game. I can see Arkansas yeah, keeping it close for a little bit. This could though. be a Timmy 24-18 and 18 sort of night. Yeah. Uh, the next game, Texas Tech taking on Duke. Did you know Tech's favored? Yeah, in I Vegas? saw that. I, was, I mean, it's only, it's only a point. I was shocked by that. I was pretty that. surprised, too. I, uh, I go back and forth. This is the toughest game for me to pick because— there is a part of me where it's just like, nope, Coach K, like, no way he's going to lose. You know, he's just going to find a way to win the title or at least make <laughs> I mean, the Final if Four. If you want to say the whole thing's rigged, you could just say they're going to let him win the title. Right. To be clear, I don't believe that, but um, there's no doubt in my mind. I might the, start thinking it the if The further he advances in the tournament, the more people are going to believe that. Texas Tech's defense is so darn good. And for a team that is built with all sorts of freshmen, um, I'm trying to see how many freshmen. I mean, Paulo Bencaro, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach, A.J. Griffin, uh, four of their top six players are freshmen. Now, Wendell Moore and Mark Williams are not, but that's still a very big amount of your team that are freshmen. I can't imagine Duke's going to like playing against Texas Tech the way that Texas Tech plays, right? That's that's what I always They're say. They're going to punch him in the mouth. That's Yes, and that's what I always say about Texas Tech. It's not just what they do to you when they're playing defense really well. It's that they're gonna they're gonna annoy you so much that there's gonna be moments at you know with seven and a half minutes left in the first half um, that you you know they're not doing anything necessarily great defensively at that moment, but you make a, a stupid mistake because they've been bothering you the entire game. That's a big part. Tech and look, I'm not just saying all their defense is relying upon the other team making mistakes. That's not true at all. But because they do play such great defense and you're going up against college kids, um, that great defense does lead to moments where even when their defense isn't as great, the other team still makes stupid mistakes because they're so flustered and so frustrated from the way they've been forced to play all night. 
Yeah, the big key is going to be can Duke hit threes consistently? Consistently, when you're playing against that that kind of pack line or no middles defense, you're going to have to hit shots from the outside. Duke is top thirty in the country. They shoot thirty seven percent from three. That's a good number. They don't take a lot of them though. Um, they're just two hundred ninth in the country in three point attempts per game or per shots. So. Uh, if they aren't hitting a bunch of threes, I think Tech wins this game. Honestly, I think I'm leaning toward Tech winning the game. And, like, I know this sounds so silly, but back to the point of it's really hard to see Coach K in his final season losing, like, this early, I I have to, like, look at, okay, well, who's the other coach? Does the other coach give a bleep about Coach K's <laughs> retirement tour? I know the other coach like doesn't actually go, oh, it's his retirement tour, I'll let him win. But I see Mark Adams at Texas Tech, and I see him going, screw off. I, I know? That's the thing. I, I wonder, um, you know, I, I wonder, okay, I'll, I'll use an example. Ed Cooley, um, kind of, and we'll play his, his audio, I think, tomorrow. But he kind of had a moment today, like he seems to be, buying into the whole oh everybody just mm-hmm. says providence is lucky i don't know if he really believes in that but he is very much using that to motivate his players so i do think in the case of mark adams i don't think he's sitting there you know i'm not sure maybe i could be wrong i doubt anybody mark adams or any other coach is going but i just would love to be the guy that ends this career but i can see a coach going into his locker room and saying this guy has been on TV all year, you know. Look how fun it was for this team to whoop his ass to ruin his last game in Cameron Indoor. Let's be that team in the Sweet Sixteen. Like I, I'm not sure that there, there's like this vengeful. Oh, I hate him. I want to end his career. But I think that that the attention K is getting mm-hmm. could be used as a, a as a, a, a motivator by the opposing coach to say they won't shut up about this guy. Let's yeah. go force them to shut up about him. Yeah, and one. Texas Tech's biggest weakness is offensively. They turn it over too much. Duke doesn't force many turnovers. So I think I'm actually leaning Texas Tech in this one. Obviously, like I said, I like Gonzaga big in the other one. Uh, Moving on to the south. Arizona takes on Houston. This game, I think, is very tough to decide as well. Now, if you go by Vegas, Arizona is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Ken Palm has Houston as a one-point favorite. So Arizona advancing according to Vegas. Kelvin Sampson getting naked according to Ken Palm. (laughs) What is going to happen? Do you think that would be, like, is that the progression of this? We see he coaches just take off their shirts. They, it's just one garment. He just gets more, another. like, strip poker. He just gets more and more nude. Um, woof. Uh, like, Jim Nance is like, and what a phenomenal performance. They win the national. There go the draws. Oh, no. What we'll be right this? back. We're going to break. No, no, no. <laughs> This happened to me during Janet Jackson's halftime performance. I can't do it again. Um, Just one shiny moment playing in the background <laughs> as he strips off the clothes. Uh, anyway, um, Houston taking on Arizona. You know the thing about one, one shining nipple ring. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Arizona got like out toughed by TCU that yeah. game. They still found a way to win. This could be. And that's what Houston does. Yeah, that's true, and and they, that's the question. What are you going to do? Is it, oh, my God, we've got to deal with this again? Or is it going to be, hey, you know, we, we learned a lot about ourselves. We've had a, Now we've had a full week, not just a day, to prepare for this sort of toughness. Um, this is a big moment for Tommy Lloyd. Uh, you know, he has a chance to go further than most first-year coaches ever go. Um, and, and so, 
you know, I don't know. It's, I just, I go back to, is, is it going to bother Arizona? Is it going to, but in the, is it going to bother Arizona into making stupid mistakes? Um, and you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think Arizona. If anybody's winning this game by double digits, it's Arizona. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Houston plays well or scores. No, they don't. They don't have the offense. Arizona's second in the country in two point yeah, defense because like, Christian Coloco just erases everything. I could see Arizona going after this thing, and and I don't, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I'd predict this, but I, I could see it being you know a seventy five to you know, 59 sort of game just because Houston, you know, Arizona makes shots down the stretch, makes free throws down the stretch, and Houston doesn't score. Um, I think it's going to be an ugly game. I really do. And if it is, that's advantage Cougars. Yeah, it is. But I think at some point, like you said, I could see it being an ugly game for a while, and then Arizona just kind of the shot making starts to come um, from there. Arizona just has so much talent on their team, and I I think they'll be able to overcome it. I I think also kind of going to that, of weathering the storm. Houston fouls a lot. They are 285th in the country in foul rate. Arizona gets fouled a lot. They're 56th in the country in getting like, trips to the free throw I feel throw like line. that last game that was like they, they shot the third or fourth most free throws ever. They shot a lot against in, TCU. In, in, in an NCAA tournament game. So I, I can see I'm that not, being a big factor. You know what? No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Purdue game. Oh, yeah. I'm no, sorry. they Pur- did shoot a lot of free throws. Yeah, I, Purdue was the one that got in the top five. for mo- But, yes, you're right. Arizona still shot a ton of free throws. Yeah, and so I could see that being a story. I could see Houston getting into foul trouble, and if it becomes a depth issue, I mean, Houston's already without a couple of their players who got injured earlier this season. I mean, it's been a long time, so like they've they've obviously overcome it and everything. Um, I think that they're going to end up scathing by, and like you said, I, I I'm assuming that they end up winning by like eight to ten points because they pull away late, they start hitting some shots. But I think Houston is going to give them everything and more that uh, they would want. From a game like this, the last one is Villanova and Michigan, which is a two eleven matchup. I was really hoping we did get Villanova Tennessee. I thought both those teams were good enough to make the Final Four. I thought it would be a really exciting, good game. You'd have two good point guards, Kennedy Chandler, Colin Gillespie. We didn't end up getting that, and now um, I almost view that like okay. Every year there are certain teams that make it to the Sweet Sixteen, and. I guess kind of the Cinderella's you could call them. It, it, it's weird to call Michigan a Cinderella, but by seed they kind of are. And there are the Sweet Sixteen to one Cinderellas that then they they find an extra boost of momentum from that. And but there's a lot more of those teams that they make it to the Sweet Sixteen, and it was just one hot week, and they show that hey, this is why we got an eleven seed because we were inconsistent all year. I feel like that's Michigan. The second weekend always tends to be a lot more chalky than mm-hmm. the first weekend. Um, and I think it's for the reasons you just stated. I think Kansas, knock on wood, um, has the easiest path of any team left to get to a Final Four. I think Villanova might be the second best team left in this field. I, I think they're really good, they're, and they're they've got a, a you know a, a great coach. Um, maybe the spread maybe is I'm, five. I would easily uh, take I would, that. I would like. I would lay that, and maybe that's a Vegas knows something like I. I, I genuinely think Villanova. Um, and maybe I'm putting too much into what TCU had the scare they gave Arizona, uh, and maybe and, and they've proven to be very good all year. But I, I think Villanova is the second best team left in this field behind Gonzaga. I think this is actually going to be an entertaining game. Um, Villanova plays at a slower pace, so it won't be like super up and down. Villanova's eighth on offense in the country; they're thirtieth on defense. Michigan is nineteenth on offense, seventy seventh on defense. And when you look at how they match up. 
Michigan has Hunter Dickinson, who is one of the best offensive post players in the country. He can pass. He can shoot it if you leave him open, and he's so good on the block. That's what got him out of the first week. Villanova doesn't have the traditional center, so he's going to have his way on offense, but then we've seen this before with KU playing Villanova. He's going to get destroyed on defense, so it might actually be an entertaining game, but uh, yeah, I'll take Villanova to win that one. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Brian Haney is going to join the show in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Half past four, Brian Haney will join the show in 10 minutes from right now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, our college basketball stock market report, got to update it. You're not touching anything, are you? Nope, you just don't. have. I'm riding. I don't know if Nate Miller would agree that this is a smart <laughs> uh, investment strategy, but uh, I'm going with Gonzaga and Arizona, and I'm just riding them all the way to the end. Did I make any money this week? You uh, lost a little bit of money. Fantastic. I'm guessing that, TC, that close game against TCU didn't help. Yeah, you're down and like a close, $11. A close game against Memphis, too. Yeah. I, on the other hand, am selling everyone. I'm selling just my 10 shares of cash? Duke. I'm picking tax. I'm 10 shares oh. of Duke, 10 shares of Kentucky, because they can't play anymore. Michigan State, five shares. They can't play anymore. Five shares of Oklahoma. They can't play anymore. 10 shares of UAB. They can't play anymore. And then I had 10 shares of Vermont and South Dakota State. They can't play anymore. So I'm selling everyone. And then here's what I'm going to do 10 shares of Arizona. 10 shares of Villanova, 10 shares of Purdue, because I'm assuming, I mean, Ken Palm has them beating St. Peter's by 10. I think they're going to win by like a billion. Um, (laughs) uh, Providence, I'm going to take 10 shares of because of the fact that I wouldn't be surprised if Providence wins. At the very least, I do think it is closer than a seven-point game. I think it's a close game down the stretch, so I think their number is going to go up. So I'll buy 10 shares of Providence. And then uh, Texas A&M and St. Bonaventure, they're both in the... uh, Semifinals for the NIT. I'm going to buy five shares of each because I think they meet in the NIT championship. I, uh, yeah, Milwaukee will forever be my buying beachfront property in Nebraska. (laughs) Good God, that fell apart. Yeah, it did. Okay, uh, the other thing that we have to do here before we go to break and talk to Brian, our college basketball title winner draft. So you have Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova, and UCLA. You are sitting very pretty. You are sitting... Like, that could be the final four. Are you getting rid of Arizona? So I have Kentucky, Arizona, Duke, and Tennessee. Are you going to dump Arizona? I have to dump. I Why would I dump Arizona? I'm just, if you're not dumping Arizona, then I'm not going to change anything oh, that I, I have. But you literally could end up with the final four. They That's could. pretty incredible. Yeah. I have to dump someone, but the part of this rules of this game, I can only dump a max of one. So I can't dump Kentucky and Tennessee. You should dump both Arizona. Out. No, I think I'll hold on to Arizona. <laughs> they are my, the, my one chance possible. I, I have Duke, too, so, you know, Coach K weirdness happening. Oh, gosh. I'll, I'll just dump Tennessee. It doesn't really matter which I dump between Kentucky and Tennessee. The question is, up? so let's see. Is Houston the la- the highest Houston team to Ken grab? That is a tough path if Houston wants to win a title. You're going to have to beat Arizona, have to beat, hypothetically, Villanova. Who knows who they'd have to play, and then, and then you're looking at, you know, Possibly whatever Gonzaga. The, the thing about again, you know, people will hate you if you take Providence and benefit from it. But if you take Providence, they're probably an eight-point favorite in the next round. No, because here's the thing: like 
I'm not going to take Providence because, like I said, I could see Providence beating Kansas. It's not that far-fetched. I could see Providence that's making the, the final four. This is about, you're right. That's the final four. The yeah, that's true. You're right. Providence you're right. is not winning yeah, the title. I didn't even think about that. I feel very that. confident you're right. that. You're right. So, um, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take anybody from the Midwest. You already took Kansas. They'd be the only team I'd take out of there. Um, out of the West, you have Gonzaga. I'm not going to take Arkansas because I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga. Even if they did, I don't think they'd beat Texas Tech or Duke. I have Duke. Texas Tech is a real candidate. I might take them because, like I said, I think they beat Duke. I think they'd be an interesting matchup for Gonzaga. Gonzaga did beat them by like 14 earlier this year, but um, but that's you know it's hard. They to... hit threes from the outside and they yeah. shut down comparatively Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. If you uh, if you shut down Chet Holmgren and, and Drew Timmy again, you feel okay with that. So I might do Tech. Houston's a possibility, but again, I don't love that draw the rest of the way. I might just go out of the East. You know, I. But you have UCLA, and that would be the one team I would want to pick. I don't trust Purdue's defense long term. Purdue could make it to the Final Four. They're not winning a title with that defense. North Carolina is an eight seed. They're an eight seed for a reason. They could make it to the Final Four. They're not winning the title. I mean, you know, Raleigh Massimino and uh, and Villanova were an eight, and I'm pretty sure that was the first year the damn thing expanded. No, that was, it was 32. No, it was 32 that year. That was 80. It was 1985. They had 64 teams. I don't think they did. All right. I'll bet you a Coke. Okay. okay. Um, we'll look at that later. So it's between Texas Tech and Houston for me. Mm, Houston's better on Ken Palm, but I'm picking Tech tonight. I'm not picking Houston. I'll I'll take Texas Tech. I'll take Texas Tech, and not really love it. But I'm kind of in this situation no matter what. I think you have the better four. Which is funny because I, I don't remember like when when this first when we first did this, I remember specifically when we drafted us having the conversation of I like your four better, talking about me, but I have the Gonzaga Trump card, which was talking about you. Yeah. And now is turned into well at one point didn't i dump somebody to pick up arizona i think you picked up ucla was it ucla i picked yeah, up? yeah which okay. turned out to be a great pickup that's a bummer i know at one point i threw somebody off the wagon to pick up somebody else but yeah i do feel confident that honestly if you like okay how many number of teams would you have to give yourself right now because we talked about this before the field i think if you gave me gonzaga and one other i'd probably take that versus the field and point. i think at that point Yes, right now, yes. I think when we talked about it during the regular season, I said I would if you if you move it up to, I think if you I five, think you, I think you, you said I six. said five. The question at that time was three. Yeah. I said five. At that point, right now, if you want to give me Gonzaga and I'll pick another, I would probably well, I'd probably take that, but I don't know. That South bracket has it's the really South good. bracket has what three teams left that yep. can win the national title. He's Adam Gravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Normally joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, on a Friday, but, you know, the game's tomorrow, and we're going to uh, switch out into pregame coverage of that a little early tomorrow, 4.30, with tip-off scheduled for 6.29, not 6.30, 6.29 for the game between KU and Providence. And you'll be able to hear Brian on the call. Uh, so you're in Chicago right now for the KU action. Before we get into the stuff, 
when you're in Chicago, what what's the place you got to go? There's a lot of good eat places, whether it's uh, getting deep dish pizza or my personal favorite, Gene and Jude's for hot dogs. What's the spot you got to go in Chicago? Wow, that's a great question. You know, we as a staff went out last night to Lou Malnati's, which has kind of become the number one deep dish place up here. It's a little bit similar to the Kansas City barbecue scene, where for years it was Gates and Arthur Bryant's, and then, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years, places like Joe's and Jack Stack and uh, Q39 have, like, zoomed past the traditional favorites. I think that's kind of, as I perceive it, the deep dish pecking order, kind of a new wave. And so Lumalnati's is a terrific way to start the trip. Uh, and we'll see what the rest of the meals look like once we get going. But for me, you know, the nightlife is great. It's, it's just neat to feel the energy of the city. That's something Bill Self talked about going back to his days when he was coaching in Champaign and would come into Chicago to recruit. It, it's just an amazing place. And so we're thrilled to be here. We're hoping it's a full weekend long stay. And I can't wait to talk about what it will take to do that with you here in the next 15 minutes. Yeah, KU takes on Providence. Um, what do you envision in this one being the biggest key for, for KU to advance and be playing again on Sunday? Well, you know, we're up against the team that's very similar to us in the way they play with four around one, and they're similar to us in the experience that they bring in and the fact that they can score inside if they need to, but they've also got some very capable three-point shooters. I don't anticipate them to shoot it as well as they did versus Richmond. If you look at their season stats, they're a 35% three-point shooting team, and here they were last round shooting at 45%, throwing in 12 threes. And I just, you know, while that's certainly possible to sustain, I'd like to think that all the emphasis that Kansas has put on perimeter defense this week on the heels of giving up big numbers to Creighton, I'd like to think that some of that hard work is going to pay off. Coach Self talked today about you know, being right there on the catch, forcing them to, you know, if they do hit threes, which they will, uh, to have it happen off the bounce, but not, you know, in rhythm, catching and, and spotting up thanks to ball rotations where we were a step late and that kind of thing. So I hope we'll defend the perimeter well. But they've got three guys that all shoot 39% or better. Overall, as a team, though, what we saw versus Richmond is the exception, not the norm. And so I would hope that Kansas could regress their numbers back to the mean. I'm talking about the three-point shooting of, of Providence. And then for the Jayhawks, you'd love to see the you know, likes of Ochai Baji and David McCormick get going a little bit more. It's thanks to Remy Martin we're still talking today. Without his heroics, the season would have ended in Fort Worth. Ochai's seen his shooting numbers really tail off in the last four weeks, even including the uh, most outstanding player of the Big 12 tournament run that he had in his hometown. Even there, he wasn't shooting threes particularly well, and I think a product of that is all the defensive attention that he's gotten in the second half of the year with some teams face-guarding or double-teaming in certain stretches. And I, I think Ochai's been a marked man, and it's been tougher, but there were some flat-out open looks that he also missed the other day where he just looked a little bit off. And he says he's not pressing. He says he's not stressing about it. Uh, to me, he looked like a dialed-in, really focused, and, and a confident, enjoying-the-moment type guy today. And so I think he will rise above that. And to me, I don't know how you feel, Derek, as a KU guy, but the fact that we were starting to show signs of playing our best ball, leaving Kansas City, but then very much did not in Fort Worth and yet did enough to kind of win one ugly and yet showed that while you can get by that round without your best, uh, you're going to need to bring it stronger certainly going forward, but knowing that there's two or three notches of untapped potential that we didn't see in Fort Worth 
that's still in there for Kansas to kind of unlock maybe even tomorrow night. Uh, that to me is exciting. It's not like we peaked and that's, that's the best of what we got. Now with Remy, he raises our ceiling much higher than what it's been at any point. If we can just get Ochai back to being as efficient as he was in November, December, January, and then get the version of David, obviously, that we saw in the regular season finale versus Texas and in the Big 12 title game versus Texas Tech, that's going to be an important matchup inside when you look at uh, the front court of Kansas versus the front court of Providence. And as Dave goes up against Big Nate, Big Nate and Big Dave, you know, these are going to be the two matchups, Watson and McCormick, and they're both from Virginia. They didn't ever really play next to each other or, or against each other growing up, even though they were just about 20 minutes down the road. But I know there's mutual respect between the two. And get, get Big Dave back to the guy that we saw, you know, in stretches late in the season that was a double-double machine for Kansas. And I think the Hawks will have the inside track to winning this one. But that's a lot of keys I laid out there for you. I, I, just, I feel like we've got the better team, and we've got uh, a couple of notches of untapped potential Whereas I think Providence, you know, you saw them at their best last round. I think Kansas can take it one or two notches higher. And so nothing would surprise me tomorrow in terms of how Kansas could go out and get the win. They could eke it out again as they've done so often. Or I could see them come out and blow the doors off of them, kind of like we saw in 2017 in the Sweet 16 in Kansas City, uh, where a really focused group comes out and, and just absolutely shows out with its best effort. Part of me kind of thinks we might see something like that, but that's just a hunch at this point. So we'll see. You tell me, bud. What, what are you feeling? What's your confidence level? <laughs> well, I, part of me is like, you do everything in your power to avoid a close game. We know Providence this year, that's been the story. They win every close game. So the best way, I know Kevin Flaherty, who we have on the show all the time, says this, the best way to avoid losing close games is to just not play them. So when you're playing Providence, avoid that close game. The biggest thing to me, um, it really comes down to the three-point defense. And, you know, I, I think you would do yourself a lot of favors if you're Kansas. If if Dave is having a good game, both offensively and defensively, uh, basically that very much like if, if Dave's struggling, you're struggling to prevent Nate Watson inside, I don't know, maybe you have to double a little bit. Maybe it opens up the other guys for threes. That's the biggest worry for me, especially off a Creighton game where you just saw them hit a bunch of threes. But, it's just kind of impossible to know how much of some of these games that we've seen Kansas in the past where the opponent has shot a bunch of threes against them and made a bunch of threes in recent memory in the tournament, how much of that is just bad luck and how much of that is something that was specifically happening that KU was trying to do. Yeah, that's something to say. And our good buddy Nick Schwert, Rock Chalk Sports Talk alumni, Rock Chalk Sports Talk alumni had a great tweet talking about teams since 2017 that have hit 40% or more of their threes and double-digit threes against Kansas in March Madness, and the number being five. And then you look at all the other Blue Bloods, and he tossed Villanova in there as well, who's trying to work their way into the Blue Blood conversation. And and it was a combined total of five in that stretch, which is amazing. And so uh, and these include some really good perimeter defensive teams for Kansas that I think have just run into some tough matchups. And thankfully, as tough as Creighton was, we survived that one. Otherwise, we would look back on that Creighton game and compare it to Ali Farouk Manesh and UNI of 2010, 
when a one-seeded Kansas team didn't get out of the round of 32 because the club came in and was just lights out. And Creighton nearly shot double what they normally make per game. They averaged 6.7 threes per game coming in, and they hit a dozen of them. And so hopefully you avoid something like that. But I, I think the guys have, have heard enough about it this week, not only in looking at their own game film versus Creighton, but then hearing about what Providence did to Richmond, that it's going to be a paramount importance. And when I asked Ochaya Baji in our pregame interview, which we just taped about 30 minutes before you called, you know, I asked him for, for the biggest keys to the game, and, and he said first and foremost was perimeter defense, and then he said rebounding. Uh, but to me, you know, the fact that it's on the tip of his tongue and every other guy we've talked to this week speaks to the point of emphasis it's been. And hopefully, you know, we'll see Kansas come out and not just defend the arc well, but, but let it fly with some confidence and free minds as well. When Christian hit four threes on Thursday versus Texas Southern, I don't know if you caught the post-game interview, but they let us interview these guys courtside immediately after. They walk us, walk them up to us with a headset. And, and I told him straight up, I said, hey, man, we, we call you downtown Christian Brown because we like it when you shoot trees, all right? So keep <laughs> doing it, bud, because the coaching staff, just to be candid, has been begging him all year to not turn down so many threes because they want to see him shoot more. And, yeah, it's great that he can drive downhill and get finishes and scoop shots and all that, but I want to see that version of Christian really cut it loose because going back to September, Bill Self thought CB would be our best three-point shooter. And so I'd love to really see him catch fire in March. And more than anything, I want to see the ball go through the net for Oach and have him kind of get that tightness loosened up a bit and, and pressure off, monkey off his back of what has been a steady decline in shooting efficiency since February. So we're talking so much about how much we respect and fear what they might be able to do, Providence from three. I hope our guys come out slinging it a little bit, too. Not that they'll be three-point reliant. You want to take it within the flow of the offense and when it's there, and we're still a team that scores best in transition. But I'd love to see, for all the talk of their three-point shooting, to have Kansas come out and throw a few daggers early and put the pressure on them, as opposed to seeing Providence come out hit a couple of quick triples, and all of a sudden we're having flashbacks to Fort Worth and Creighton and all that. I'd love, as, as you mentioned with Kevin Flaherty's quote, and, and you talk about avoiding a close game, let's play from out in front as Kansas. Let's hit them in the mouth early and make them worry about catch-up, not closing out you know, one-possession game. That's, that's my hope for tomorrow. And genuinely, in my heart of hearts, I think there's a great chance it unfolds like that. Yeah, and I think you, you brought up something important with the, the free mind comment in that what you were just talking about the question before as well with, with Ochai and that it seems like he is kind of playing with that. And that, that's something we've kind of talked about on the show this week, the idea of you know how much is, is Ochai pressing because um, we've talked about it a lot, how much Ochai has been, how, how fun he has been to cover, how fun he is to talk to. And he, he cares so much uh, about his time at KU and about impacting this program and, and winning. And, you know, I, I almost wonder if what we saw in the last week of the regular season, specifically the last game against Texas, like how much of, of his struggles were just he was pressing. He was he was almost trying too hard. And last week he went, I think, 10 of 28 combined in the two games, which is obviously well below what we're used to seeing from Ochai shooting efficiency-wise. And for KU to have a good three-point shooting game against Providence on Friday night, like you're going to need Ochai uh, to pick it up. And and I also thought that the Bill Self, you know, he was asked about this in his presser earlier today. He got asked about, you know, what do you do to try to, uh, I, I guess, 
work things out, like keep guys loose at this point in the season. And he said, yeah, you do have to kind of maybe keep guys looser than normal now. And, and uh, it is at this point of the season more of a mental approach to the game than it is a physical approach to the game. But uh, based on what you're saying, it, it, it sounds like maybe last week you're more kind of attributing to it just happened to be two down shooting games than it was Ochai pressing. You know, that's what he said. He, he said from the podium, I'm not stressing, I'm not pressing. That was his exact line. And, you know, we want to believe that. But to me, there's a larger sample size that, that shows the, the shooting numbers dropping going back to February. And so I think it's a product of a lot of things. But he seemed really dialed in. He seemed loose. Perhaps you saw the social media clip of him getting to talk via Zoom with Dwayne Wade uh, back during one of the media uh, sessions here for some of the TV work Dwayne's doing. And, and he, was, he seemed like this happy kid that was meeting one of his heroes. He's like, hey, I grew up in Milwaukee as a Marquette fan. Jayhawk fans don't want to hear that. Uh, but maybe we can remind Ochai and Dwayne the score of the Final Four game in 2003. Anyways, Ochai sounded like a kid. He's like, hey, man, I read your book. I did all this. And to me, you know, that, that's a guy that's having fun. He's enjoying the moment. In our interview that we had for tomorrow's pregame, he seemed as dialed in and focused and, and really well-read on the scouting report. And so hopefully all that adds up to the type of performance we want to see. If it was mounting and heavy on his shoulders that his shooting numbers have, have fallen off a cliff in the last four weeks, I think you'd see different body language. You'd hear more defensive answers. He looks like a guy that genuinely was loving watching Remy perform so well last week and wasn't one bit selfish or jealous of Remy's success. He looks like a guy that, that knows jumpers haven't fallen, but there's plenty of other ways he can help his team win, and it's only a matter of time before those jumpers do start to fall. That, to me, is the sign of a guy that's, that's got a lot of self-confidence, that, that has a quick short-term memory, and uh, hopefully you know, is ready to turn the corner and have some of his best performances, hopefully these next two weeks and, and not just tomorrow night. So we'll see. But I, I do think you know, it's more than a one-off, one-week deal. It's, it's been three or four, to be honest, where the jump shot hasn't gone down. He just doesn't look like a guy that's wearing it around his neck with all kinds of stress. And you know what I'm saying? Like, like mm -hmm. you can just see it in his body language and on his shoulders. He's just really stressed out. He, he seems happy-go-lucky. And I, I think hopefully if those first couple of shots fall tomorrow night, he'll really be able to take a big exhale and, and relief and, and go out there and be the guy that we saw for the first three months. Because think about it. I mean, he becomes a marked man after that hot start. Then he's getting all these showcase games where it's him versus Shibwe with ESPN game day in town, and everybody's comparing numbers and how defenses are trying to take him away with face guarding and, and everything that he's had to fight through. Had the week where he was going through COVID. It's been a lot for him. And now he's hearing all the talk of, well, you're the last All-American still playing. Everybody else got knocked out. You're still campaigning for the Wooden and the Naismith with your auditions these next couple of games and, and that's just a lot and I think Ochai does a really good job of blocking out that noise and just focusing on next opponent next game next play and that sounds cliche but it really is about as good a job of doing that as any kid I've seen and so for all of the pressure that may be on him and all the talk and the hype and all that I still see the same fun-loving down-to-earth humble Oach that we've all loved for these last four years and I, I truly hope that that type of groundedness, 
focus and mental preparedness pays off for him tomorrow and Sunday should we get there because I wouldn't be – no guy deserves it more. I couldn't be happier for anybody more so than I am for Oach if he gets that. Yeah, he went 20 of 42 in the Big 12 tournament game, so maybe he'll uh, get back to that level. Here's Brian Haney. You can hear him on the call tomorrow. Brian, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Brian, got a two-parter. One last thing for you. One, do they still serve candy on those private flights? And if so, what kind do you choose? <laughs> they uh, they don't have candy. Uh, they have an assortment of chips from Frito-Lay, and I got the uh, the baked Cheetos, ah. which supposedly is 50% less fat. Still <laughs> leaves your, your fingers kind of orange and greasy, but, uh, but they were tasty. And I always, they, they, have, they have some kind of like, you know, snackish protein bar, not like the, the good ones with 20 grams or whatever, just like the, the little bite-sized ones. And we get a couple of those. But it's that and as much Gatorade as you can drink. That's pretty much it on the flights. Whereas for football, there's a, a ton more food, I guess because they're trying to bulk up the linemen. And they come up and down the aisles with beef jerky and Lorna Dunes cookies and uh, all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't even imagine. Oreos, all that. I guess they're fattening the guys up. Basketball, <laughs> it's, it's a different kind of menu for sure. When I was with the volleyball team, you could always count on, I could always, always count on enjoying a big-ass Kit Kat bar no matter where we were flying. <laughs> <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah. Give me a break, baby. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Adam DeVetta's favorite. Good to know. Well, Brian, thank you for the time and uh, word from Nate Miller. That's right. Just as the Jayhawks have a game plan to take on and hopefully take down the Flyers of Providence, you need a game plan for your financial future, and my main man, Nate Miller, can help you with that. Check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. They'd love to take a look at your portfolio. And even if you don't have one, they'd love to help you get started on one to help you have the most profitable and happy financial future out there. So check him out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks, fellas. Always a pleasure. And hopefully we're doing one of these chats from down there on the bayou next week, maybe down on Bourbon Street. All right, let's look forward to it. All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, thanks to Brian for coming on the show. You can hear him on the call of tomorrow's game with Greg Gurley at 629. Pre-game starts at 430 with David Lawrence and John Kellerman here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. That's going to do it for this edition of RCST out early today. Westwood One coverage going to start for you next year on KLWN and streaming online at KLWN.com as we're going to have all the uh, Sweet 16 going on tonight in the West and South regions. For Adam Brevet, I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you to you for listening. See you later on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.